Last time, Mike, we spoke about World's Fairs, and you ruined my intro, so I'm just going to say it. This week, we're talking about the first officially sanctioned example, the Great Exhibition, held in London from May to October 1851. The event's venue, named the Crystal Palace, is just as interesting, so we're going to cover that too today. I do miss our witty banter at the opening of these things. Witty banter. It's all business today, my friend. It's true. And we should say that we're together. Yep. Do a high five to prove it. That was terrible. Can't fake that. that Can't fake how bad it was. If I was going to fake it, it would have been a better high five. Well, that was a bad high five. All right. Let's get into this. The Great Exhibition was organized by Henry Cole and Prince Albert, husband of Queen Victoria. Henry Cole, by the way, popularized sending greetings cards at Christmas time, introducing the world's first commercial Christmas card in 1843. Now you know. Now we know who to quietly complain about mm-hmm. as these things solely fill up our houses every mm-hmm. December. And to, because of the disappointment to our parents when we don't send them. Wow, that sounded like a personal example. As we spoke about last time, in the early years, World's Fairs celebrated industry and technology, and this was certainly the case in the 1851 event. There was a precursor to the fax machine that was shown off, as well as the world's first voting machine. Samuel Colt demonstrated prototypes of some of his now-famous firearms, and a telescope was also featured in the exhibits. The trophy telescope, by the way, is what it was called, which is a great name, Mm -hmm. had a main lens of 11 inches, and had a 16-foot focal length. That's very nice. Wonders of the natural world were also on Ooh. display. The Daria Inor, one of the rarest pale pink diamonds in the world, was present, as was the Koinor, the world's largest known diamond in 1851. The event itself was a bit of a technical marvel on its own. The first modern pay toilets were installed, with nice. 827,000 visitors paying the one-penny fee to use them. Apparently, spending a penny... Became a euphemism oh, for using a toilet. That's where it comes from. Like, I know that. Do I, you? Yeah, yeah, I've heard it. Like, spend a penny. That's where, that's Jillian. That's, I really knew, never knew where that came from. It comes from this episode of Ungenius. That's it. I this, mean, also the event, great ex- exhibition. This event has the best legacy available. <laughs> Six million people, roughly a third of the entire population of Britain at the wow. time, wow. came to visit the great exhibition. Wow, that's huge. Can you imagine that? Can, like, can you imagine something today? There is nothing today that would bring a third of the country. Or even maybe six million people. Like, it's yeah, wild. that is insane. The average daily attendance was 43,000 people with a peak attendance of 110,000 on October 17th. So there towards the end of the run. It made 18.7 million pounds in 2015. I was going to say. Yeah. it's <laughs> a 18, lot of money. <laughs> that's in 2015 numbers. Okay. Uh, that was their profit. This money was used to start the Victoria and Albert Museum, which is known as the VNA, the Science Museum and Natural History Museum, which are all incredible free museums in London, and I think are among the very best in the world. So that was money very well spent. Yes, I've been through them. They're amazing. They're really fantastic. So I'm happy to know that that came from this. This event was popular with all sorts of people, as you would imagine, including nobility. Queen Victoria and her family visited three times. I wonder if they had to spend a penny. (laughs) Know what I'm saying? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) the assumed superiority of Britain was on display in full force. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Assumed? Superiority? Hmm. Listen to this thing. I Hmm. think this is pretty superior. The New York one was all fraudulent and fake. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) This one was legit. Do you know what else is legit, Stephen? Our sponsor. Definitely. Circle. Circle helps your kids have a healthy relationship with technology. Kids have a lot of distractions now. seems like way more than we had when we were young. But we know it's important for kids to step away from technology and enjoy family time, like school, after-school dinners, game nights, just watching a movie together. Circle is the easiest way to manage your family's online time across all of their devices inside and outside the home. 
The Circle Home Plus works with the Circle app, so parents can filter what content is allowed, set limits for screen time, monitor history and usage, and each family member has a profile that's fully customizable to their needs, age, and maturity. Circle was really easy to set up. A lot of these filtering solutions out there, you've got to change your DNS and log into some sort of web dashboard. Circle is very easy. Use the app, you plug it into your network, and honestly, I had it up and running in just a few minutes. Right now, our listeners get a super limited time offer of $30 off a Circle Home Plus. When you visit meetcircle.com slash ungeniust, that's M-E-E-T-C-I-R-C-L-E dot com slash ungeniust, and enter the code ungeniust at checkout for $30 off. Once again, that's meetcircle.com slash ungeniust, and enter ungeniust to save 30 bucks. With Circle, you can make sure your kids have a healthy relationship with their technology. Our thanks to Circle for their support of Ungenius and all of Relay FM. Let's talk about the building that housed the Great Exhibition. The Crystal Palace was a cast iron and plate glass structure built in Hyde Park, London, which spanned 990,000 square feet in size. It was 1,851 feet long and had an interior height of nearly 130 feet. And remember... This was in 1851. You should check out the show notes, the links in here. This is a beautiful building. Oh, yeah. The Crystal Palace was, of course, named for its use of all that plate glass. At the time, its glass walls and roof meant that it used more glass than any other building on the planet. Planning started the year before the expo. A year. That doesn't seem like enough time. (laughs) A year. And the committee received over 245 entries for the design, but rejected all of them, including one by Richard Turner, who specialized in iron and glass construction. He was furious at the rejection and publicly criticized the final design, which was a brick building with iron roof. It's not great. No, it's not good. This is where our hero, renowned gardener Joseph Paxton, comes in. He submitted a design based on his previous work with iron and glass. The committee changed directions, approving this plan in July of 1850, as it came in at 28% of the estimated cost of Turner's more ambitious design. This design was modular and was based on the size of glass available from a known supplier, the Chance Brothers. These measured 10 inches wide by 49 inches long, the plates of glass. Paxton's design meant that very little custom glass was needed, spending less in construction costs and making it overall less expensive in general. Super smart. Mm -hmm. The building's walls and roof were built as an iron framework that held these stock-sized glass panels in place, with a design that was easily replicated by workers. Paxton had even considered drainage, as standing water could have damaged the glass panels under heavy rain. However, leaks did abound once the building was done, but little could be accomplished to seal all the openings. Paxton was kind of a genius. Yeah. uh, Because keeping the temperature comfortable was also like a huge challenge for them, right? Because it was a giant greenhouse. Yeah, you built a big greenhouse. (laughs) So he designed large cloth shades that could be deployed across the roof, as well as vents that could allow the hot air to escape. And as the hot air left, it pulled cooler air up from the ground between small gaps left in the floor for this very purpose. It's kind of incredible that you would, in like in 1851, like the amount of ingenuity. He made some, air conditioning. He certainly did. <laughs> the numbers surrounding the construction project are staggering. Some 5,000 workers took part of the project, which included 30 miles of gutters, more than 1,000 iron columns, and some 2,200 iron girders. Curved pieces of wood were used as the ribs of the vaulted ceiling. 
Steam-powered production line systems automated some of these tasks, including grooving wooden window sashes and painting some of the iron pieces. It took five months to complete the project. Crazy. Kind of reminds me of the pyramids. And the Great Exhibition opened on May 1st, 1851. And after extend, and after it ended six months later, something had to be done with the building. It was decided that it would be dismantled and rebuilt atop Sydenham Hill in southeast London. Today, this area of London is called Crystal Palace. Over the next several decades, the building, now relocated and rebuilt, played host to many events, spanning everything from circuses to government functions... Some people would say those are the same thing. <laughs> oh, they are different. Hey. The first aeronautical exhibition ever was held on the site in 1871, followed in 1920 by the Imperial War Museum and Great Victory Exhibition. This span of time was marked by tragedy, however. In 1861, the palace was damaged by a windstorm which shattered many of its panes of glass, and five years later, a fire broke out, destroying the north end of the complex. There's more bad news, Mike. In 1892, a person died in a hot air balloon accident near the building. I'm not sure you can blame that on the building. No, it was in the vicinity. Well, unless the broken glass, it kind of like rubbed against the balloon. (laughs) And in 1900, a person was trampled to death by an elephant that escaped an exhibit. Now that is more significant. It's not good. How do you get the elephant back? I don't want to know. That's quite some bad luck. By the late 1890s, uh, the building had started to fall into disrepair, and in 1911, its owners declared bankruptcy. In 1914, the Earl of Plymouth, however, bought it with a plan to restore the Crystal Palace to its former glory. And by the 1920s, he had done so. The building was hosting events and guests once again. Then in 1936, building manager Sir Henry Buckland and his daughter, Crystal, did he name his daughter after the building where he worked? Yes, he That's did. not okay. Like, can you imagine what, like, your child would be named office? Yeah, studio. <laughs> studio. Yeah. Uh, they were walking their dog near the palace when they saw signs of a fire. He went into the building to find two employees fighting an office fire. It quickly spread, and by morning, most of the palace was gone, despite the efforts of nearly 500 firefighters and 740 police officers who rushed to the scene. It is unclear how the fire started. In fact, the reports of like an explosion, but it's all very wrapped in mystery. Thank God no one was killed. Inventor John Baird believed that the fire was a work of sabotage by someone trying to slow his progress in television, but that was never proven. All that remained after the fire were two water towers, which were removed shortly after the fire, and the land has been used for numerous things in the years since. And like you said, this area of London is named after Mm -hmm. the building. In 2013, Boris Johnson entered talks to rebuild the palace, but those plans never went anywhere. What a surprise. (laughs) It's a beautiful building. Oh, yeah. You look at the pictures of this thing, and it feels like it's from the future. Mm -hmm. It feels like it shouldn't be from the time that we know it was built in. It's really something. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn more about the Great Exhibition or the Crystal Palace, uh, head on over to our website, relay.fm slash ungenius slash 86 while you're there, you can get in touch uh, via email, or you can find us on Twitter to send in show topic suggestions. The show is at Ungeniest. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E, and you can follow me on Twitter as I-S-M-H. So until our next building fire, Mike, say goodbye. Bye. Adios.